Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you, thank you. It's good to be handed the mic by another young-looking person. So, watch son-in-laws, watch and learn, all right? Watch and learn. Good morning, church. How we doing? Whoo, it's a good day to be alive. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to take this time to give to the Lord what is His. You know, we believe in the first fruits here at Catch the Fire Raleigh that we're not simply giving to the Lord something, but we are returning to the Lord what already belongs to Him. Amen. And we believe that the scriptures show us that the Lord sees our faith, He sees our seeds, and He, he pours out abundantly. He's a generous God, isn't He? And so however you give, whether you give with a mobile, if you give with an envelope in front of you in the drop boxes, hold it right now and we're going to pray and ask the Lord to bless this offering and this tithe. Lord, I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that as we return our tithes to you, you are our provider. Tell him right now, Lord, you are my provider. I do not trust in man, but I trust in you. Tell that to him. I do not trust in man, but I trust in you, my Lord, my provider. I thank you, Lord, that you provide richly for each need. Lord, for those who are in need right now, we stretch out our hands in faith and we say, Lord, would you provide graciously and greatly and abundantly as only you can do. Lord, I ask that you would pour out generously in finance, in relationship, in all things, Lord, that we would prosper and be abundant in the name of Jesus. The church said amen. 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 You may be seated. I'm excited for today. If you're new here I, I want to say uh, hello. My name's Aaron Inneber, along with my wife here, my beautiful wife. We're the lead pastors here at Catch the Fire. It's great to be with you. We are in the middle of a sermon series called One Another. It's a good day. You picked a good day. We're in part three in a sermon series on this Greek word, a lay loan. Can you all say that with me? A lay loan. Which is a word that appears some a hundred times in the New Testament. Does that sound important? Uh, you should say yes. The answer is yes. I'm not trying to trick you. Yes, it's important. And of course, in English, we have two words for this, but in the Greek, there was one, a lay loan, which is this sort of togetherness, this unity of the body. And we're going to dive in. Uh, on the first week, we talked about how God has unified us, how when we come to Christ, we are all adopted under one Lord and Savior. And when we look around the church, it's not just cute to say we have our brothers and sisters, but we are actually of the same lineage of Christ, and we share a family inheritance with one another. What a beautiful thing. And that when one member of the body suffers, all members suffer. When one member rejoices, all rejoice. Like this is the picture of unity, biblical unity. And then Jess brought an incredible message. How, how good was that last week? On love, on biblical love, which is sacrificial love, the cost of loving one another well. And today we are going to talk about humility. And the title of today's message is Washing Dirty Feet. All right, open your Bibles with me. First Peter chapter 5. We're going to dive right in. We're reading in the NIV translation today. Ooh. I'm excited. While you're turning there, Peter's writing to a group of Christians throughout the northern areas of Asia Minor, and he begins this book by addressing the believers as aliens, 
which is as if to imply that he's not just speaking to Jews or Gentiles, he's speaking to all Christians throughout all areas, to all believers who would have been like aliens among people, who would have stood out for their beliefs, for their Christianity in the places where they were. And so he's addressing them. And in chapter 5, he begins to say this to them. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter begins this address here in chapter 5, this part of the, of the book addressing the elders, of which he says, I myself, Peter, am am one of you, one of the elders. And I believe he's, yes, he's addressing the elders of the church, but he's also addressing those of us who, who are in positions of power and influence, who carry maturity and authority over one another. That this is, there's something here for us to gain from this text. And he's exhorting these men, these, these leaders, these people, these women and men to be people of strong character, to act in the same way as he has, as their fellow elder, that they would have hearts to shepherd the flock, to watch over them, to care for them, to not seek dishonest gain, but to be eager to serve and to not lord over others, but be examples, godly influences. And I feel that there's such powerful wisdom right off the bat for us here today. If we're in positions of influence over people, whether you're a parent of young children or old children, whether you're a boss at work, it's like don't lord it over them. Don't seek for dishonest gain. The, the context here so quickly is to care for them, to love them, to shepherd them, to have hearts for them, and this language to be eager to serve them. What a beautiful picture. And then Peter says, and for it, you'll be rewarded a crown of glory. And as I was thinking about this, I was like, I was thinking how this isn't just some nice sentiments or wishful thinking for the believer, but there's actually a heavenly reward attached to an earthly behavior here. Did y'all catch that? It's as if God is like saying, this is so important to me. This is such a valuable principle to me that the way in which you elders, you you people that are over one another or over somebody, the way in which you treat and care and love, you will be rewarded in heaven for. What a beautiful invitation for us. In verse five, he continues and he says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He begins to now address this topic of what I believe is this conversation around humility. And he begins to address now the younger people, he says. And he says, in the same way, submit yourself to your elders. Did y'all catch that in the same way? 
And often in our flesh, in our earthly ways, we like to use the scriptures or potentially, let me say, has been used in the past, has been used to lord over and rule over people. Hey, submit to your elders. Submit to me. Respect your elders, young man. But the context of the scripture is to take it a step further. And I would ask the elder in that situation, have you walked in love? Have you cared for the young person? Have you had a heart that is eager to serve them? That literally desires that you can't help. It's just, it's in your your bones. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know that phrase? You just have to serve them. You have to love them. You have to care for them. And the gospel is not this this weapon to rule over one another, but is an invitation to mutual submission. And this is seen as he quickly in this writing, he speaks to the young people and then he says, all of you, all of you, say all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward a lay loan, one another. Clothe yourself with humility. Wife, submit to me, I'm your husband. Okay, have you loved her like Christ loved the church? The women over there are like, yes, Lord, amen, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Again, it's this invitation to submit to one another. Have, have we loved like Christ loved the church? Have we laid our lives down for our spouse like Christ did? Because that's what the Bible says we're to do, men. And this is what a beautiful invitation for us is. Peter goes on and he quotes Proverbs 3, 4, and he says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble which is this picture for me as I'm reading it of almost this, this opposition to be in battle. Like picture this for a moment, to be in battle. And the very object of opposition, if you're standing on this line of humility, is God. That he is the one who has adorned himself, ready to fight in battle, in armor. And he is the one that stands opposed to the proud. This is a beautiful, beautiful call for us to walk in humility. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the losing side. Any side that God's against is definitely the losing side, right? Tell your neighbor, I don't want to be on the losing side. Mm -mm, Don't do it. Don't you do it. Then Peter goes on and he says this to the last verse we're going to read here in 1 Peter 5. He says, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I love this. This verse for me, as I was reading it, it's like a warm hug. It's like grandma's cookies and milk, y'all. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like this comforting verse that's like, though you may have to walk in humility, and how many know humility is not, not always easy? Though you may have to walk in humility to your in-laws. Sorry, guys. I'm joking, y'all. They're right there. That was too easy. Though you may have to walk in humility, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when a person, not my in-laws, may make it difficult. It's like there's this beautiful invitation and reminder that the Lord sees and the Lord knows, and he will lift you up in due time. That humility will not go unnoticed to God. 
It will not go unnoticed to God. Humility is of great value. It is of great value to the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And this is a requirement for a believer, a must. We must clothe ourselves in humility with one another. Jess spoke a brilliant message last week and reminded us of how Jesus kind of levels up these commands in Scripture. And she spoke of a Levitical command to love one another as we love ourselves. And she spoke how Jesus comes and he, he upgrades this further, if you will. He sets a new standard and he says that we ought to love one another. We're to love one another as Christ loves us. And Christ has become our example. And that love of Jesus, it looks like something. It looks like walking in the humility of Christ. It looks like walking in the love and the grace and the nature of Jesus, in the forgiveness of Jesus. It looks like Jesus. It looks like serving one another, as the scriptures say that Christ came to serve the world, but not to be served. Like this is what it looks like. Christ set a new standard of living for you and I. In this, in this alone, in this togetherness, his very life, his very being, his nature is now how we ought to live, how we ought to behave. The law alone is not the, the standard, the measuring stick of can you do this and not do this. But the measuring stick of the believer is now, are you like Christ? Do you look like him? When I see you, do I see Jesus? When I see you, do I see Jesus? He is the irrefutable standard of living in how we ought to treat and behave towards one another and his people. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. And if this sounds impossible or unreasonable, you have figured it out. Congratulations. It often is. It can be hard. But with God, all things are possible. That God didn't give us commands in the book to just leave us in lack and always feel like we could never measure up, but he empowered us by his spirit to do all things that he called us to. He's a good God. He doesn't call us to do something that he knows we cannot. He empowers us to do something that he knows we can. That's the gospel. And we can't, we can't afford to just go on pretending it's easy all the time because we'll minimize our, our perceptional need for him. We'll perceive that we actually have no need of him because what he's calling us to seems easy. And if you keep telling yourself that lie, you'll never place yourself in the place where you need the Holy Spirit desperately in your life. But when you say, Lord, the thing that you have called me to, it is hard at times. Lord, it is hard to love this person. It is hard to love so-and-so. It is hard to love my boss. Lord, I need you because it's what you've called me to do. And we position ourselves in a beautiful place where we are in need of him. What if that was what it was all about? (laughs) To be in need of him. And the world looks at this and they think it seems crazy. How can you forgive somebody who's wronged you? How can you still choose to show love and mercy to somebody who's, who's... thrown your name across the streets and 
put you down in front of people? How can you do that? How can you love like that? And the truth is that they don't know Jesus. They don't know our beautiful Savior. Because when we received Jesus, we didn't simply receive something, but we actually entered into covenant. Listen, y'all, this is not simply a gospel of, it is a gospel of you received a gift that you didn't deserve, but it's also that you entered into a marriage contract with the man of Jesus. And that this contract now has a way of living that we are to model our very lives after the nature and person of Jesus Christ. And we see this marriage is the perfect picture of this in sickness and in health, in riches or in poor, that you come into this union together through all things for all things, no matter what. And it's a picture of Christ's love for us. We enter this beautiful thing. And we know, because we've tasted and seen of his goodness, that we got everything. That what looks unreasonable to the world, that looks crazy to the world, we gained everything when we said yes. We gained all of him, all of his goodness, all of his friendship. And now one day we will be in eternity with him. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. If we approach the commands of God with the eyes of flesh, we'll end up disappointed and disillusioned. But when we say, Holy Spirit, help me to understand your words, he will empower us to live them out and understand them. Spirit of revelation and wisdom, come and illuminate your words to me. He's good. And so I began to think, what does this humility look like? If Jesus is the standard, if he is the one that we are to model ourselves after, what does it look like, like, like Peter saying in 1 Peter 5, to clothe ourselves in humility? And I began to think of Jesus when he took off his outer garments and he began to clothe himself in a towel in order to wash his disciples' feet. And I want us to read this together. Turn with me to John chapter 13. Are y'all good? Pinch your neighbor. Say, are you good? Not too hard, though. Not too hard. <laughs> John 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I always love that, that line. He loved them to the end. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us to the end. Verse 2. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompt, prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Y'all, I just caught that. Did y'all see that? I wasn't even going to preach on this, but Jesus knew his power and authority. And the very next line is him choosing to take off his outer garments, clothe himself in a towel and wash his disciples' feet. Man, I love the word of God. You can read it like a thousand times and you're just like, whoo. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin 
and began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Yeah. And Jesus answered, those who have, who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, this, to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. What's happening here? I believe that Jesus is is modeling true humility. That he is providing one of the greatest lessons on humility to the church, to, to, to the world today. Oh, it feels all the more sweet and rich reading those verses together that he knew his power and his authority, yet he chose to wash their feet. And I was thinking like about the, the crowd, the people that Jesus was washing, whose feet he was washing. And in my flesh, in our flesh, I read these guys' names. I think about them, Jesus' disciples, and I think about Jesus sitting down, kneeling down, and washing Peter's feet, denying Peter's feet. A man that was shortly about to deny Jesus in his greatest moment of weakness. And here, Jesus is down washing his feet. And I think about the man that's often known as Doubting Thomas, who said, unless I see for myself the scars, unless I see, I'm I'm not going to believe the witness of my brothers and sisters, unless I see, and Jesus is down washing his feet. And I think about even Judas, who had already this idea of to betray Jesus and the power of Satan had taken him and for Jesus to kneel down and wash his feet. What a beautiful, beautiful Lord and picture of, of who he is. And again, he's leveling up this standard of humility in verse 15 when he says, what I have done for you, do for others. No servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger than the one who sends him. And again, similar to last week, we're not telling you to go around and start washing everybody's feet on Sundays. We're not going to start putting a bunch of foot washing baths up here. Although I believe there is still power in the act of washing one another's feet. But it'd be a little weird if we did it all the time. But I believe that what what God is really getting after here is a lesson to humble ourselves before one another, to walk in humility towards one another. (laughs) Because if we stop making the world the enemy, 
And we see that there's a world that is broken and hurting and, and deceived and in need of a savior. We'll see them as human beings, as God's creation. People that we need to humble ourselves before and not just come pointing the finger towards. To be like Jesus. A little over a year ago, I shared a story and I, I felt it was fitting today. I want to share it briefly with you. Back in 2008, I went and attended Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. Do we got any Bethel grads in the room? I know we got one. You got to give a shout for BSSM or something. All right, Jacob. All right. And uh, I attended Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And I went with a close family friend, a guy named Billy. And Billy and I went to BSSM. He, he had gotten saved in our family's house church. He attended a Pentecostal church, but he didn't quite really ever... It got into his heart. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And he, he one day came to our family's house church and he truly radically got saved and began to change his life and his habits and enter into covenant. And Billy was a close friend. We went to Bethel together and we were roommates in our first year. And there was this kind of weird moment where... There was just like some awkwardness between Billy and I. Y'all know what I'm talking about when you have awkwardness between you and a friend. It's just like, man, something's up. You just like, your radars are going all off and you're like, something is not quite right. This person is acting strange towards me. And so I was like, something is just off. Billy's being distant. He's kind of being shut down. And so we're hanging out with a mutual friend. And my friend invites me to kind of stay and hang longer while Billy wanted to go home. And I said to my friend in private, our mutual friend, I said, just, I, I need to go with Billy and kind of just figure this out. And so I get in the car with Billy and we begin to drive back to our little uh, three bedroom garage that had been turned into a place for Bethel students to come. Just there's so many Bethel students, every person in the church basically turns someplace in their house into a room for students. So it was nice. Don't worry. And so we're heading back. And Billy begins to say some things. I'm trying to draw it out of him. Billy, what's wrong? What's going on? Can you talk to me? What have I done? Like, I I don't understand. Can you tell me what I've done? And Billy begins to just kind of spew out in his own heart, in his own pain, some very hurtful things. And one of the things I remember, probably the only thing I remember that he said, was I've just realized that... We can be friends, but we'll never be best friends because we just think too differently. And I was like, how can you say that when in my mind we're already best friends? <laughs> like you've come to our family's house church. We've shared so many meals together. We've played volleyball together. Like we've, we've been friends for so long. We were already best friends. And I just felt wounded and I felt hurt. And so he begins to say some more hurtful things as we arrived into our, our room And I decided in my own immaturity, I didn't know what to do. I packed a little overnight bag and I decided I'm getting out of here. I don't, I can't stand another night in this place. Uh, another moment really. And so as I'm leaving, open the sliding door and as I'm leaving, he goes, yeah, just leave like everybody else in my life. And you know, you're just like carrying that thing on your back as you keep walking away. (sighs) And so I, I get to the, the start of the driveway and I'm over by like the garbage and the recycling bins 
And I'm doing what any, uh, what any good Bethel student would do at the time. And I'm saying, what would Danny Silk do? <laughs> That's a true story. I literally was asking myself that. And I stumbled upon this beautiful truth that many years later, my father-in-law taught me that humility has no worthy opponent. And I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew I just needed to go back into that room. I didn't know what I'd done wrong. He literally, up to this point, had not told me what I'd done. And so I went in that room. He made some snarky comment as I walked in the door. I sat down on my bed, and I wept, and I began to say for what felt like 20 to 30 minutes, Billy, I'm so sorry that I've hurt you. Billy, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I don't know what I do, but would you please forgive me? I repent. Billy, I'm so sorry. And I just begin to weep and say this over and over and over again until the Lord broke through in my friend's heart and he cracked and he began to weep. Big, tough hockey guy, okay? He began to cry and weep and he said, I'm so sorry, Aaron. I have trouble letting people in ever since my mom left me. And he just begins crying. And I, I go over, we're on the couch, and we're just crying together, sharing, sharing the offense, forgiving one another, this beautiful reconciliation. And then Billy says, give me one moment. And he, said, and he, he leaves the room, and he comes back with this basin of water, and he says, I want to wash your feet. And he begins to wash my feet, and we're just weeping. We're a bunch of, like, two tough dudes just crying. And I begin to wash his feet after, and we're just... This beautiful, beautiful time. But I stumbled upon that truth that humility has no worthy opponent. That it is of great value. That to, to go low, to be like Christ, to even when we don't understand what we've done to wrong somebody, even when somebody is treating us ill, even when somebody is saying hurtful things to us, that we can walk in the humility and nature of Christ. And it carries, I believe, the power to break strongholds. The power to break opposition is a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is how we ought to behave with one another. Rather than point, fing, point the finger and make accusations, we, to, we are to clothe ourselves in humility, to forgive one another, to choose to continue loving the world wants retribution. It wants still an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus showed us a better way. And it's so easy, y'all just being real for a moment. It's, it's like the people that refuse to show humility to you are often the hardest people to be humble towards. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because every part of you wants to return to them what they give to you. It's our flesh. And you feel it like raging in your bones. But it's an opportunity to say, Lord, would you help me to model, to not, to not operate in the standard of living that the world says is right, but to operate in the heavenly standard, in the Jesus-centered standard of how I ought to live, and to respond to pride with humility. To respond to hate and arrogance with humility. To be like you, Jesus. Be like you, Jesus. We cannot give in that temptation to simply write them off. And as we approach this week, as we approach this message, I began to ask myself, who, whose feet do we wash? Who do we walk in humility towards? And I had this 
kind of convicting thought, even for myself, so I'm going to be real for a minute, of have we become comfortable with only washing the feet of those who are mildly dirty? Those who maybe are in our, just our little inner circles or our bubble, or those who only attend Catch the Fire Raleigh or attend our local church, or in our family? Have we become accustomed to only washing the feet, of walking in humility towards those who have slightly dirty feet? Or are we, are we behaving like Christ in all things and washing those dirty feet covered in warts and disease and mold and whatever it is? Have we become accustomed to washing the feet of the poor? Have we become accustomed to washing the feet of the rich, who reek of pride, but have great need of Jesus. It's like this is the invitation to wash, to walk in humility with all of Christ's kids. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And we get this, right? We're Americans. We understand freedom. Freedom. I don't say that in mock. Like, come on, Americans, we love our freedom. And I'm American now, okay? So I can say that. I can say that. But the Christly call is to not use that freedom that you do have to lord it over somebody, but to humbly serve another. To serve one another humbly in love. To not use it for selfish gains or desires. This is... The way of living. In Luke 9, verse 44, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says this. He says, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, but they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. And an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child who had, and had him stand beside him. And then he said, to him, he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. Again, Jesus is leveling us up here. As Bill Johnson puts it, there's something about hanging around Jesus that makes his disciples begin to argue about who's the greatest. Because Jesus has just filled us with so much purpose and so much goodness in life and freedom, but it's not to lord it over another. And I I thought about this and I began to reverse it in my head for a moment. If you want to come in last, exalt yourself. If you want to come in last, walk in pride. Matthew 23, 12 says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The surest way to fail is to walk in pride and self-exaltation. Pride is directly opposed to humility for it mocks the very essence of grace. The very fact of grace that we receive a gift we do not deserve. Pride has no, does not long for that. But humility says all deserve the grace of Jesus Christ. 
God came that all men should be saved. That's his desire. That's what he longs for. And we had a really fun moment sometime last week in Jess's sermon when Jess brought up a chart. And we had this person behind us, and I want you to know this is for you, whoever you are, that emphatically said when Jess put up a chart, ooh, I love a good chart. And um, so I was approaching this sermon today, and I thought we would have a chart, okay? So this is for you. So if you could put that up. If they're not here and you know who that was, please tell them for me, okay? We're going to look at humility, and we're going to look at pride for a moment. Humility says, no one is beneath me or unworthy of my time. Pride says, I am better than so many, they don't deserve me. Humility can go lower still and forgive when wronged. Pride wants payback and retribution. Humility says, we have something to offer one another. Pride says, I have something to offer you. Humility says, I need others to accomplish things and get through life. Pride says, I don't need anyone. I can do it myself. Humility recognizes its dependence on God. Pride has no, or I'll say little need of help from God. Humility is happy to exalt others and make them look great. Pride seeks to exalt itself, needs to have the last word or sound the most important in a room. Humility seeks to understand, reconcile, and believe the best. Pride writes people off and churches and leaders easily because how could they do that or this to me? Humility does not regard oneself as better than another. Pride says, I am better than you. Humility looks with the eyes of Jesus and sees God's creation in someone. Pride sees only the worst and make those who are different the enemy rather than the needy and sick who need Jesus. Humility says, look at him. Pride says, look at me. Humility says, humility considers the needs of others and pride considers the needs of only themselves. And I want to take a moment and ask you, ask us, Is there somebody that we have wrongfully judged and not walked in humility towards? As we are going through this series on the behavior of the church, on how we ought to live, on how we ought to model ourselves at the nature and character of Christ, and this Greek word, alelon, how we ought to behave towards one another, are there people that we have misjudged and not walked in humility towards? Are there groups of people? And I want to ask you to stand. We'll do some work with the Lord. Just take a moment with the Lord. Close your eyes and ask him, Lord, is there somebody? Is there some person? Is there a group of people? And I felt the Lord strongly encourage me to say, it might even be a political affiliation or party. And I'm not, hear hear me clearly. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. But I am saying you need to walk in the humility of Christ to them. And that sometimes love is to have healthy discourse and discussion and speak the truth in love. I'm not saying you can't do that either. But I am saying, have we judged and moved into a place of hatred 
Or are we walking in the love and humility of Christ and recognizing that they need him and recognizing that they're spirits of darkness and principalities of darkness who have deceived them? So go ahead and ask the Lord. Lord, is there somebody? It could be a parent. One of your parents has just been on your back lately and you're feeling it. You're feeling really stressed by it. It could be one of your kids. (laughs) Likewise. Likewise. Who's just really getting under your skin. It could be a boss, a coworker, as I said, a political affiliation, whoever it is, just take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, is there somebody that I've walked in pride towards that I have drawn a line, a line in the sand and said, I don't like those people. And I have dehumanized them in my eyes because it's easier than walking in humility. And as the Lord begins to show you, and as we put this series in practice, just take a moment and repent to the Lord. Lord, would you forgive me for any way that I have judged this person or this group of people? Show me what it looks like to love them. Show me what it looks like to walk in humility, even when they don't deserve it at times. Come on, just say that prayer to him. Lord, show me how to love like you. Say, Lord, show me how to remain humble like you. To walk in your humility with your children. Lord, I pray for this body. I pray that you would strengthen it. Lord, I pray that you would set division far from us. Lord, I ask that you would bind us, that we would be a people that would come together. When there is offense, we would come to one another. When there is misunderstanding, we would come to one another. When there seems to be a spirit of pride, we would come to one another. We would speak to one another. Lord, would you help us to walk in the humility and nature of you, Jesus? Empower us by your spirit to walk this out in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.